Hello, and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Tuesday, January 10th, 2023. I'm Mike Cachopoli. All right, here we are. Here we are on a Tuesday. Oh, well, I'm fresh back from Santa Clara, Mountain View area, Santa Clara, where I saw Jennifer Say speak. Really just literally got back 20, 30 minutes ago. Um, from watching Jennifer Say talk, you know, Jennifer Say, as many know, was the uh, former uh, employee of uh, high level employee of uh, Levi's who um, quit about a year ago um, because they wanted to shut up and stop talking about how the school closures hurt children. I misspoke yesterday when I had said Jennifer Say had left because of the vaccine mandate. That's not why she left. She left because she was speaking out about how the lockdowns and the school closures and the masking of the school children were hurting our children, how we shouldn't be treating our children as uh, disease vectors, like they're disease, like they're, like they're dirty disease vectors. And ch- children, of course, had a very low chance of getting COVID, an extremely, extremely low chance of dying of COVID better chance of getting and dying of the flu than COVID and how school should have been open and the kids, kids should have been on mass. So she was talking about this since basically 2020, right? But actually February of 2020, she said she was, she knew the school closures were going to happen and she knew it was a bad idea. And she was talking about it in February of 2020, February of 2020. And she goes to talk much more, too. I think Levi's Unbuttoned, I believe, is her book that she has out, Levi's Unbuttoned, and it, about woke capitalism. She talks about woke capitalism, about how these places like Levi's started to take on causes, cause celeb, you know, virtue signaling, when they forgot that their job was basically to, like, sell jeans. And she puts that very distinctly. Our job was to sell jeans, not to get into all these woke capitalism causes so on and so forth and she goes more into war capitalism in the speech and in her book but basically if you remember her husband's daniel Kotzen. now daniel Kotzen was someone who i i immediately um started following on on twitter like in march of 2020 in march of 2020 i followed daniel Kotzen because he was constantly he's a, a lawyer who lives in san francisco jennifer and, and and daniel with their four children lived in san francisco at the time and he was really outspoken about all the COVID mandates and policies and the way it was hurting his kids couldn't go to school, so on and so forth. And so I, I was following Daniel Kotzen from day one. And then I started to follow other people. But I think Daniel was the first person who I really started to watch his feed as he spoke about the injustices going on and especially the way children were being treated um, and lockdowns and, you know, all that stuff that we know now is absolutely 100% true. But Daniel, at some point there, was banned from Twitter. Recently, he was brought back by Elon Musk. But um, it was like shortly, maybe six months after I started following Daniel, that I started seeing Jennifer Say speaking. I didn't even make the connection. In 2020, they were married. Then I realized they were married. And uh, and then she was outspoken. Uh, Daniel obviously was – and Jennifer talks about this in her speech – that Daniel was much more uh, less, less, less diplomatic than she is. Um, and so they moved. They moved to Denver because they wanted to go to a place. They moved to Denver in 2021 because they wanted to go to a place where they could kids. Believe it or not, it is Denver's blue, Colorado's blue, but <laughs> nothing's as bad as California and San Francisco. So schools were actually open there. 
uh, sooner than they were open here. So they went there so they could kids could actually go to school. They actually had to move from San Francisco to Denver just so their kids could go to school. So she talks about that. But she also talks about things I didn't know about her, that she was a gymnast. She was like this Olympic gymnast in the 80s. And that's when she first got game to notoriety because she was talking about, she came out and she talked about the culture of, of being a gymnast, of being a top-level gymnast. And the way she weighed 98 pounds, she was fat-shamed if she gained a half pound. Um, they'd make announcements, her coach would make announcements to the, to the whole, to everyone. You know, this person gained a half pound. I don't, I don't coach fat people. So she came out and talked about the fat shaming and the extreme conditions that the gymnasts had to go through and how bad some of those coaches were. And that's how she gained some notoriety talking out about against that culture. Um, and she makes the point that the people who loved her for that quickly turned on her when she was exposing this horrible gym culture. This horrible culture of, of fat shaming girls and fat shaming boys and fat shaming these gymnasts who would gain an ounce and, uh, and a lot of them, of course, suffer from depression, anorexia, so on and so forth. The, the people who embraced her, loved her for exposing that, turned on her on a dime, turned on a dime when she started talking out about school closings. And they started to call her things like, you know, uh, white supremacist, nutty things, domestic terrorist, you know, you're a, you're a Trumper, you're a, you're a, a you know, um, anti-vaxxer, you know, all these crazy names, you know, all the crazy names the left throws out when they don't want to debate the issue. Just to try to put people into a corner and boxes. And just like me, and just like many people who call this show and listen to this show, Jennifer was a, uh, a Democrat. She said she was left of left of center. She was a, uh, a, 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 a leftist. She was a progressive until, until COVID. And that changed everything. And now she's giving speeches at places like the Liberty Center of Santa Clara, which is not, which is not, uh, they're not a Republican club, but of course, a lot of their, the people who go to these events are libertarians and Republicans. So she's taken that same journey that I've taken, that same journey many of us have taken, where we were on the left, we were progressive, I voted for Bernie Sanders twice, as I've mentioned a million times on this show. And, uh, and everything changed once COVID hit. And the people that we thought, we thought had brains, we thought followed actual science, we thought had common sense, did not. And, um, and I think she put it very well. She didn't change. They changed. She didn't abandon them. They abandoned her. And I feel the same way. And also she talks about this whole idea of, of not having a political home right now, you know, kind of being politically homeless. But it was a very interesting speech, and it, it really goes to show how she was like one inch away, literally like one inch away from being CEO of, of, of Levi's. She worked for Levi's for like 20 – I think she was going on year 23 in uh, last year. And um, she was one inch away from being the CEO. That's how important she was to them. That's how much they revered her. That's how important she was there. That's how well she was doing there, moving up the ladder, basically from the bottom to almost CEO. In 23 years, and simply because she was talking about how children were being adversely affected by COVID lockdowns and policies, she was fired. Not fired. She makes it clear she quit. But what happens is they offered her a severance package. They wanted her out because they wanted her to shut up. And they offered her a severance package of a, of a million dollars. 
a million dollar severance package, but uh, along with it came that she could no longer talk about this stuff. It was basically, you know, it was it was a it was a bribe to silence her, and she would not take it. So she just left. I think next month will be a year that she's left. So she turned down this million dollar severance package because what it was basically was a silencing package. And so she turned it down. But and she said she has lost, like many of us, she's lost all of her colleagues. They're afraid to talk to her. All of her friends. You know, all these people that to a man will say she was right and believe in the First Amendment, supposedly, and you're supposed to be able to speak your mind. And just because you work for a company doesn't mean you lose your voice, doesn't mean you lose your First Amendment rights, doesn't mean you lose your rights. The same people who really believe that are still afraid to talk about it. Little by little, that's changing. Little by little, that's changing. But um, it's just it's just amazing how she basically lost and gave up everything. Simply because she was speaking her mind about how the COVID policies were hurting children. Oh, it's just a horrible thing. A horrible thing to, de- to be a defender of children. You can't be a defender of children these days. You cannot be. You have to be an adult who imposes your will, who imposes your neuroses on children. That's fine. You could be an adult who imposes your vaccine neuroses, your your COVID neuroses, your uh, you know your your uh, your fears on children, make them pay for it. You can impose your sexual genders on them. You can impose your drag shows on them. You could do all that stuff to them. You can make them try to be just like you, right? You can make them be what you never were: gender fluid, transgender. Runway, runway walker, (laughs) something you never achieved in life, but you want these children to be able to achieve that in life. And so that's, you know, basically, uh, but you cannot defend, you cannot defend children, right? You cannot defend children. We're seeing that more and more now where adults are, are not allowed to defend children, where the government gets between a parent and their child, where, like I said, adults impose their their fetishes and neuroses uh, on children, but you're not allowed to defend them and say, well, maybe these lockdowns, maybe these policies uh, hurt them. Maybe we shouldn't have done that. Maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Now, once again, everything she spoke about in February in 2020 turned out to be right, 100%, 110% right. And as she mentioned, which is very interesting, which I hadn't thought of, these children that have been affected, the young ones, we're not going to see for years how it how much it affect them like when it comes time for them to graduate at a normal age they won't be graduating and so we're going to see this 10 years down the line these children who were set back two three years are going to be stumped they're going to be behind and this is all going to happen at one time there are going to be a lot of these kids who are supposed to be graduating supposed to be at a certain level and uh, and won't be because of all because they would, they've been set back over the last couple of years and once again, which goes to the full effects of 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 uh, of these lockdowns, the full effects of the COVID mandates. We're just feeling this is just a vanguard of what we're going to really feel and experience over the next five to ten years. These reverberations, this pebble into the water that reverberates out, it's going to be going on for a very long time. Those circles, those circles are going to be continuing on and on and on. And the problem is the people who cause this are going to hide. The people who cause this are they going to hide. They're going to die off. They're going to retire. Or they're going to die. They're going to go away. And they're going to try to, just like Nazi prison guards, they're going to try to hide 
as though they did not cause any of this stuff. And we know they have caused all this stuff. We know they have caused it. All the anguish we're seeing now and all the anguish we're going to continue to see, um, they caused it all. And where is the, where's the punishment? Where's the punishment for these crimes? Remember, Jennifer Say's situation is, is, is high profile because she was very high up in Levi's. And therefore, because she was high profile, she was like a step away from being CEO. And she took a stand and she turned down this million dollars. She was on Tucker Carlson. She was on Laura Ingram. But what about all the people who weren't on Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram? What about all those people who have been punished? All those people who had to end their careers very early. She's only 53. What about those people? Who, who's going to speak for them? All right. Who's going to speak for them? And that's why I titled the show, Everyone Who Censored COVID Info Should Go to Jail. I'm not over the top. They should go to jail. These people deserve to go to jail. They can't just slink away. Okay? They cannot just slink away. They can't. We can't allow that to happen. Or we can't allow people like Fauci to continue to puff his chest and lie and pretend he's right and everyone else is wrong. We can't allow them to continue to write articles like I saw today in Yahoo News. The title of the article was people are blaming people are blaming some of these sudden deaths, you know, athletes dropping dead, young people dropping dead on the COVID vaccine. Why that's dangerous. Remember, these same articles were written two years ago, but the headline was different. It was people are claiming the COVID vaccine doesn't stop the spread. Why that's dangerous. So how many times do they have to lie to us? How many times do they have to write false headlines, false stories before we stand up and say, we're not going to take this shit anymore? That that's be some accountability for writing this stuff. That's be some accountability for actually now. You could use the excuse, although I think it's a piss poor excuse. Two years ago, that oh we didn't know, blah 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 blah. Ha, 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 ha. But now there's no excuse anymore. Now you are willfully hurting people. Now you are willfully lying. You're willfully continuing to hurt people. So at that point, at that point, there has to be real consequences, right? At that point, there has to be real life consequences, which takes me into Alex Berenson. Alex Berenson was just given the Twitter dump, which I think is is is, is uh, intended irony, intended vengeance from Elon Musk, because Alex Berenson, as you know, was also banned. He had to go to court. He went to court and he won and Twitter had to reinstate him. It was actually reinstated before Elon Musk took over. They were forced to by the courts because Alex Berenson was canceled by the former Twitter ownership group because, and the people who worked there, like Yoel Roth, because he came out and was talking and about the the vaccines. Right? He was coming to talk. He was talking about the lockdowns being hurtful, the mask being stupid, the vaccines not being effective, all that stuff. So he was banned once again. All stuff that. Also, that even if it turned out, let's put it this way, even if it turned out not to be correct, which we know is 100 percent correct now, even if it turned out to be not correct, he was he has the right to his opinion. OK, he obviously was writing it as Alex Berenson's opinion. Right. Alex Berenson's opinion of, of, of the of the of, of the opinion of the articles he's written, opinion of the information he's taken in. So he never should have been banned either way. But it was, it's particularly egregious because he was right about everything. So he was banned by Twitter and brought back because he won a lawsuit. And now Elon Musk has him writing the Twitter files. I think it's incredible, delicious, 
vengeance, delicious irony that Alex Berenson, uh, I'm sure intended by Elon Musk, because Elon Musk is a very smart man, uh, is able to write about the Twitter files. And these Twitter files that Alex Berenson writes about has to do with the Pfizer board member, Scott Gottlieb, who's also part of Biden's team of doctors, his team of scientists, the science trademark, who secretly pressed Twitter to hide posts challenging his company's massively profitable COVID jabs. So think about that conflict of interest. This guy is one of Biden's doctors, Gottlieb, right? They, the left like to talk about Trump's Trump's uh, um, generals. Well, this was Biden's doctor, one of Biden's doctors, right? Gottlieb. Think about the conflict of interest. He was a Pfizer board member. So you have a, a Pfizer board member who's also one of the doctors advising Biden on COVID policy and vaccine policy. And at the same time of that ridiculous conflict of interest, he was pressing Twitter to hide any posts challenging his company's massively profitable COVID jabs. And to funnel his demands, as Alex Berenson puts it, Gottlieb used the same Twitter lobbyist the White House did. Fresh evidence of overlap between the company selling mRNA shots and the government forcing them on the public. On August 27th of 2021, Gottlieb, a Pfizer director with over 550,000 Twitter followers, saw a tweet he didn't like. A tweet that might hurt sales of Pfizer's mRNA vaccines. The tweet explained correctly that natural immunity after COVID infection was superior to vaccine protection. It called on the White House to follow the science and exempt people with natural immunity from upcoming vaccine mandates. It came not from an anti-vaxxer like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., but from Dr. Brett Girard, a physician who had briefly followed Gottlieb as the head of the Food and Drug Administration. Further, the tweet actually encouraged people who did not have natural immunity to get vaccinated, in quotes with an exclamation point. No matter... By suggesting some people might not need COVID vaccinations, the tweet could raise questions about the shots. Besides being former FDA commissioner, a CNBC contributor, and a prominent voice on COVID public policy, Gottlieb was a senior board member at Pfizer, which depended on MRN jabs for almost half its $81 billion in sales. So about $40 billion of its $81 billion in sales in 2021 came from that jab. Pfizer paid Gottlieb $365,000. A cool 365K for his work that year. In 2021, Gottlieb made 365K from Pfizer. Gottlieb stepped in, emailing Todd O'Boyle, a top lobbyist in Twitter's Washington office, who was also Twitter's point of contact with the White House. The post was corrosive, Gottlieb wrote. He worried it would end up going viral and driving news coverage. I found the email in the search of records I ran on Twitter last week, part of Elon Musk's Twitter files effort to raise the veil on censorship decisions Twitter made before Musk brought the company, bought the company in October. I went into detail about my involvement at the Twitter files in a Substack article yesterday. I plan more reporting on the files in the weeks to come. Through Jira, an internal system Twitter used for managing complaints, O'Boyle forwarded Gottlieb's email to the Twitter strategic response team. The group was responsible for handling concerns from the company's most important employees and users. Please see this report from former FDA Commissioner O'Boyle wrote, failing to mention that Gottlieb was a Pfizer board member with a financial district in pushing the shots. 
A strategic response analyst quickly found the tweet did not violate any of the company's misinformation rules. Yet Twitter wound up flagging Girard's tweet anyway, putting a misleading tag on it and preventing almost anyone from seeing it. It remains tagged, even though several large studies have confirmed the truth of Girard's words. This is what Brett Girard has said. It's now clear COVID-19 national immunity is superior to vaccine immunity by a lot. There's no scientific justification for vax proof if a person had prior infection. At CDC, director at POTUS must follow the science. If no previous infection, get vaccinated. So here's a doctor who's actually pushing the vaccine. He's saying if you're not infected, if you haven't been infected, get vaccinated. But if you have been infected, you have natural immunity, which is superior to the vaccine immunity by a lot. And that was flagged as misleading. Learn why health officials recommend a vaccine for most people. Find out more. A week later, on September 3rd, 2021, Gottlieb tried to strike again, complaining to O'Boyle about a tweet from Justin Hart. Hart is a lockdown and COVID vaccine skeptic with more than 100,000 followers. Sticks and tones may break my bones, but a viral pathogen with a child mortality rate of less than around 0% has cost our children nearly three years of schooling, Hart had written. And of course, that's 100% accurate. Why Gottlieb objected to Hart's words is not clear. But the Pfizer shot would soon be approved for children 5 to 11, representing another massive market for Pfizer. If parents could be convinced COVID was a real threat to their kids, of course. O'Boyle referred to former FDA Commissioner Gottlieb when he forwarded the report, again ignoring Gottlieb's current work with Pfizer. This time, though, Gottlieb's complaint was so far afield that Twitter refused to act. At the same time, Gottlieb was also pressing Twitter to act against me, Alex Berenson, as I disclosed on Substack, drawing on documents that Twitter's pre-Musk regime provided to me as part of my lawsuit against it. Gottlieb's action was part of a larger conspiracy that included the Biden White House and Andy Slavitt working publicly and privately to pressure Twitter until they had no choice but to ban me. I will have more to say about my own case and will be suing the White House, Slavitt, Gottlieb, and Pfizer Shortly. Good for you, Alex. The morning after I wrote that article, Gottlieb appeared on CNBC, the financial news channel, where he is a contributor. Hey, anything this guy doesn't do and offered what at best was a seriously misleading explanation of his actions and motives. Gottlieb did not deny pressing Twitter on me. He could not, given the documents I had released the night before. But in an interview with Joe Kernan of CNBC, Gottlieb said he had asked Twitter to act only because he was concerned if tweets raised the threat of violence against vaccine advocates. The inability of these platforms to publicly direct threats. This is here. The inability of these platforms to police direct threats, physical threats about people. That's my concern about what's going on. That ecosystem, Gottlieb says. So this is this is the game they play. If they don't like something you say, they say you're a domestic terrorist and you're violent. Right. This is the game the left plays now. This is the game the Biden administration loves playing. That if you say something that goes against their narrative, their reason for wanting you censored and deleted and destroyed is because you are violent. You're, you're, you're promoting violence by disagreeing with them. It's violent to disagree with them. I'm concerned about debate being made, Gottlieb told Kernan. I'm concerned about physical threats being made for people's safety. In a tweet that morning, Gottlieb doubled down, writing, respectful debate and dialogue is one thing and should be encouraged and protected. Of course, he doesn't believe that. But there's no place for targeted harassment and misleading dialogue. We can instigate a small but persuadable group of people to make targeted and dangerous threats. Well, we know where the danger was. There was Gottlieb's right. He's not lying. <clears throat> there was tons of danger, just like there's danger now in talking about how the vaccines are causing death and injury. There's incredible danger to Pfizer's profits. 
Incredible danger to Pfizer's profits. But Brett Girard's tweet about natural immunity was a definition of respectful debate and dialogue. And in his own email to Todd O'Boyle, Gottlieb did not raise any security concerns about it. He simply complained that it might end up, end up driving news coverage. So, of course, we know Gottlieb is, a, uh, is full of shit. Gottlieb is not just a Pfizer board member. He's one of seven members of the board's executive committee and the head of its regulatory and compliance committee, which oversees compliance with laws, regulations, and internal procedures applicable to pharmaceutical sales and marketing activities. Any president who wasn't such a total, total fucking big pharma whore with stage 27 dementia would never allow a guy like this to be one of his doctors. He would see this. He would see the obvious conflict of interest. But Biden is such a huge big pharma whore. He's been a big pharma whore his whole life. And of course, top that with his dementia issues. And there's Gottlieb. Pfizer has a long history of violating drug industry laws and ethics rules. In 2009, it agreed to pay 2.3 bill, the largest healthcare fraud settlement in American history, for fraudulently marketing several drugs. In 1996, it conducted a clinical trial of an antibiotic in Nigeria in which 11 children died and which became the inspiration for John Le Carre's novel, The Constant Gardener. <clears throat> Written in, yeah, okay. So how, how will Pfizer react to the black and white proof from Twitter's records that one of its most powerful board members secretly tried to suppress debate on the mRNA jabs, mRNA jabs that have been by far its best-selling product since 2009? And will CNBC continue to let Gottlieb use it to mislead the public? So once again, this is just scratching the surface, really. Really just scratching the surface of how doctors at the highest levels of government, basically working for the White House or working for the, you know, uh, the NIH or the CDC, were pressuring Twitter and in some cases successful, some cases not successful. It could have been it could have been depending on who they were talking to, what mood the person was in that day in getting these articles either taken down, accounts suspended or shadow banned. Right. Like in that case where it wasn't taken down or shadow banned or an advisory put on it, which then, as you know, when those advisories put on it, you can't retweet it. You can't comment on it. You can't do anything. It just stays there kind of in Twitter limbo. Twitter limbo. So this is what we are now seeing. This is what we are now seeing. And. It's what's really amazing is I, I knew Gottlieb was full of shit from day one. When I saw Gottlieb speaking, I could tell he was a total empty suit, a, a, a purely political concoction that would really only exist in a country like this one, where you can have this ridiculous conflict of a guy who's a Pfizer board member making almost $400,000 a year by Pfizer in the middle of this thing when they're selling these vaccines. And yet... Is part of the White House task force driving the COVID narrative and the vaccine narrative. So once again, the, the conflict of interest isn't like subtle. It isn't like hidden. You know, you don't got to like really do any investigation to see this conflict. of interest. It's just an obvious conflict of interest. Getting paid by Pfizer. You don't belong. You don't you don't get a job in the government. Right. You don't get a job in the White House task force. if You're getting paid by Pfizer. You can speak for Pfizer all you want. 
right? You could put Scott Gottlieb, Pfizer Lackey, and, 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 and talk all you want about how great the vaccines are. But you don't get to also work for the White House and drive COVID policy and vaccine policy, pretending that you're objective doctor with no conflict of interest. And your only interest is, oh, the well-being of mankind. But once again, look at who is running things. Look at the president. Look at this feeble old fool <clears throat> who has lied for a half century, a half century of lying. And it's worked because he's president. It worked. He was a big time senator. He was vice president. And now he's president. So the lying worked. And then people are shocked when someone like George Santos is created. Why not? When you see what the, what 50 years of lying has gotten Biden, the presidency, you know, 80 years old, why not start lying when you're 30? Why not? Just like we're seeing in American big cities, crime pays. So why would they stop crime? Why would they stop looting and raping when it pays and killing and destroying? It pays. They say crime doesn't pay, but not in American blue cities run by Democrats. Crime pays. It pays. It's worth it. It's worth the gamble. So if you're seeing a guy like Joe Biden, who's lied for 50 years and he's president. If you're a young politician, isn't that a blueprint? Isn't that a blueprint? And they're shocked. Oh, my God. George Santos lied about, oh, he lied about going to college. He didn't go to this college. He went to that college. He didn't have this job. He had that job. Oh, oh, my God. Kick the guy out. Kick him to the curb. Everyone else there is so honest. We don't need one dishonest person there. Give me a fucking break. You got the president of the United States who's lied about everything. Lied about jobs he's had. Lied about people he's known. Lied about people he's marched with. Lied about how his son died. Lied about everything under the sun. From A to Z, big and small. <clears throat> so this is the guy who's running this country, who goes down to the border after two fucking years, after 50 years in politics and two years as president of the United States, where four million illegals have come in, spreading fentanyl, killing children. He takes a walk to the border. You see him walking. He can hardly walk. Looks like he's going to fucking fall on his face any minute. This total fucking walking disaster of a person. And this is the guy running things. And he's going to run again. No, no, he doesn't just want to be president for the next two years at stage 37 dementia. He wants to be president for another six years. So is it any shock we get Scott Gottlieb's? No, of course not. Of course not. <clears throat> Biden either didn't know about his Pfizer connections or didn't give a shit about his Pfizer connections. Either way, you're a moron. So this is what we had. This is the leadership we had from day one with COVID policy, whether it's the president. And I know people out there saying, wait a minute, Mike, wait a minute. No, March of 2020 was Donald Trump. I have gone after Donald Trump many times. I think his 10 months, 11 months, eight months, whatever it was, his president during COVID was a disaster. Operation Warp Speed was a disaster. Fauci was a disaster. Burks was a disaster. They're all disasters. Redfield, they're all disasters. He brought in Atlas way too late. A total disaster. Not being stronger on Democratic governors who locked everything down. Not going after them using the bully pulpit like DeSantis would have if he were president. A disaster. 
Everything he did was a disaster. So I'm not giving Trump a pass, but Biden took it to the next level and beyond, right? Vaccine mandates, plane travel, masking, all that stuff. And a guy like Scott Gottlieb, who ran free in 2021 just to spread total information as these things were being rolled out, as the as the vaccines were being rolled out and telling us how important vaccine mandates were. Because without them, his company would have made maybe $10 billion less. Oh, whoa, we would have made $70 billion. Oh, God. It's $365,000 this son of a bitch made in one year alone, last 2021. How many people did he hurt and kill making that kind of money? How many people did Scott Kotlieb kill? Let's put it straight. How many people did he kill in 2021 while he made nearly 400 grand? I don't know. One person for every grand? Probably more. 400,000? Yeah, one person for every grand, maybe more. Probably more. Once again, this is where there has to be actual accountability. It's great that this stuff is coming out. It's great that Elon Musk is, is releasing it. It's great that he's giving it to Alec Berenson. It's, it's a brilliant Machiavellian move to let Alec Berenson do this one. I hope he lets him continue to do it. But there has to be actual real accountability. Not Micah Chopley yelling about it on, on a podcast on call-in. I, I know Republicans are going to hold hearings. And this is more grist for their mill, all this stuff. But that's be real accountability. And you know what I mean by that. I mean punishment. People need to be punished. So therefore, there'll be a record. You see, I don't think there'll be another one of these in two years. There's a reason why they only come around really every century. There are people who want it to come around every two years to make more money off it, like Bill Gates and, and, and Scott Gottlieb's of the world. But – I think, generally speaking, it'll be a while. And also, remember, they have to make people forget this first because people aren't going to just go for this again in two years. So maybe they got to wait 50 years, whatever. But there has to be a record of these people doing these crimes and being punished, right? So the people 50 years from now, 100 years from now, when all of us are dead and gone, don't do this again because there's a record, you see. They'll go back and say, oh, when this happened in 2020 to 2022, these people in whatever year it may be, 2023, 2024, 2020, were punished, were, were convicted, were put on trial. Don't want to do that again. Just like there's a record now of the Nazis being punished, right? That's a big reason why they didn't let those Nazi prison guards go, even the ones who were 80 years old and living in uh, Boca Raton wherever they were, or Vienna. Because they were 80, and because it happened a long time ago, and because they said they were just taking orders, was not a good enough, those weren't good enough excuses. They were put in jail. If they were 80, they were put in jail, so they died. Because there had to be a record. You couldn't let these people get away with it, because then people in the future would say, well, they got away with it, so we can too. There has to be punishment. I can't say this enough. And I understand this is America. We have to have a jury. Even the guy who killed those four kids obviously looks like he did. He's going to go on trial. He's going to get his trial. That's the way this system works, and it should work. But we have a lot of evidence here. I'd say we have enough. I, I, you know what? This might be a, a, a crazy statement. Some people might think it's nuts. 
But I think we have more evidence against these people than the state has against this guy in Idaho. I think we have a treasure trove of evidence to put – there's certainly enough evidence to go to trial. We have tons of evidence now to go to trial for these crimes against humanity. It's all there for them. It, there needs to be accountability, period. Gator, how are you tonight? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Yourself? All right, pretty good. Pretty good. I agree sentimentally with everything that you're saying. Um, there's, there's an interesting article I've put in the chat for you, which is a kind of a quick updated primer on some of the efforts that are going on and the analysis that's been going on about various parts of it. Now, are you familiar with Ed Dowd's arguments around um, COVID? No. Okay, so one thing you should look at is a guy called Ed Dowd, who is a former BlackRock money manager, independent uh, investor and analyst now. Um, <clears throat> and for some time, his, his take has been sensible because it's, it's, it hinges around the... Uh, analysis of all-cause mortality um, and how that demonstrates correlation and potential causality, um, causation with the vaccines. And essentially, his, his argument is once criminal fraud is demonstrated, all um, and, and that penetrates the public perception sufficiently, all bets are off because it undermines any legal contract shielding inside the primary supply contracts and then it also undermines um, liability shield in the governmental pre-existing governmental law and even if it didn't it's possible for governments under high enough public pressure to change the law anyway so he's basically running a, a short you know his his theory is short all of the drug manufacturers because they're all going to Pfizer's going to five dollars right now um Brooke Jackson's case is one that shows up um has has shown for a long time in primary clinical trials with Pfizer there was fraud going on there there's lo a lot of information about the various forms of fraud including fabrication of test results um and there was also, even in the AstraZeneca trials, for example, uh, at the Ron Johnson roundtable, there was um, a one of the cases was that um, a woman taking part in the trial had massive vaccine side effects, was removed from the trial, but then the trial denied that it was anything to do with them, and they deleted all of her data from the. Um, the actual trial to pretend though as if she hadn't had a problem which is total fraud right um so there's a lot of this stuff that's going on that kind of is going to obviously take a lot of time to come out but hopefully if any of this lands then yeah it will open the pathway but i would say this your argument about if there's a public record and if somebody gets done then that will stop something happening in the future if that's true why didn't Pfizer's previous conviction for that resulted in $2.3 billion of fine, because they are the company that's paid, I think, the largest corporate criminal fine in history. Yeah. Why didn't that stop anything to do with COVID? Because it's worth it. Because it, because it's worth the crime. In other words, the crime is worth that punishment. In other words, if you're going to make $100 billion, 
and you might get sued. You might. You might. There's no guarantee because supposedly with this COVID vaccine, they're supposed to have immunity, right? The government's given them immunity for any kind of lawsuits. That was a, that was one of my issues with taking this thing, that they wouldn't stand enough behind their 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 medicine to say that well if something goes wrong of course we're going to take responsibility. So they had no so in other words if in the in the um, off chance they were sued so why not if you're going to make in other words if I'm a, if I'm a thief in a blue city and I know I can go into Walgreens and steal a thousand dollars worth of of stuff a day and maybe I'll steal a thousand dollars worth of stuff today. $1,000 with us tomorrow, then maybe I'll get arrested. Some cop will decide he's going to arrest me and I'll spend 24 hours in jail and I'll get out. Why not? It's worth it for me to, to make $2,000. It's, it's, it's worth me to steal $2,000 worth of goods in a week if I'm going to spend 24 hours in jail. Yes, there's that slight punishment of, selling, of spending overnight in jail, but so what? Crime is worth it, right? It's worth it. So it, to them, it's worth it. If they were going to make like, like dollars, Gator, in 2021, Yes, the cost of business. $80,000 alone. So if they're going to get sued 10 years from now and have to pay $5 billion, who cares? Yeah, it's the cost of business calculation. But my point is, though, that even in where the public record of Pfizer having been found criminally liable for, for basically breaking rules of medical licensing and falsely marketing a drug for purposes that it wasn't cleared for, it was fined $2.3 billion, which makes the company suspect as fuck, right? Now, even though that existed, nobody knew about it because it wasn't publicized and it didn't stop people from from thinking, oh, COVID is a um, Pfizer can't really. How could Pfizer, a company that are obviously shown to be dodgy, um, possibly create something in six months or a year? Let me interject something. These companies don't care about monetary fines. The Nazi prison guards weren't given monetary fines. I agree. If Scott Gottlieb goes to jail for 10 to 25, that will make a difference. Yeah, I agree. But my point is this. So, first of all, the monetary fines don't change public perception, right? That, that we agree on. But they're also suppressed anyway. But under present regulation, no individual is going to jail for this because the corporate, corporate law essentially shields them because the corporation is the one that's going to be facing liability, right? And that's why nobody goes to jail anymore. No manager goes to jail because the laws are decided and defined like that. Corporations are people, right? The way that you get what people should be campaigning for fundamentally is the removal of corporations' recognition as people. Corporations should not be equivalent to people, right? And managers inside those companies should be directly exposed to legal consequence and face face jail or even yeah. the death penalty if they kill people right if those things co- are changed a- <laughs> then we will see better outcomes can a corporation get gang raped in jail no so it's not a person it's not a person it, it doesn't matter legally it is it has all of the rights of a person to Look, be I'm, I'm defamed and offended and all the rest I'm agreeing of with you. Obviously, corporations yeah. not a person. Corporations but, aren't. We know that. But we, <laughs> but we, we aren't. Nobody's, pre- nobody's pressing for that change in law, right? You, you want people to go to jail for corporate wrongdoing. You have to change that law. Otherwise, it's impossible to send people to jail. Why haven't? Why hasn't anybody from Boeing gone to jail? Yeah. No, I'm not saying. I'm not saying you're wrong. They are absolutely shielded. There's no doubt about it. But. At, 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 at some point, because because obviously you have to have evidence, 
not just as the corporation, the entity, lied about certain some things, such as such as lying about trials or knowing in trials it could be harmful or knowing in trials it's not going to stop the spread that you're selling it that as as though it will, which we we know they've done. We we've had yeah. we've had whistleblowers say they knew it wasn't going to stop the spread, but they sold it anyway as stopping the spread. So th- that's the problem is that. You can put it to Pfizer did this, right? Moderna did that. But you have to be able to prove that this person that we're going after did that, did did something. And we can prove this person is liable personally. However, sometimes it just takes one scapegoat. Sometimes it just takes one example, one example. You go after one person, you pick one person out, right? And you, and you, and you go after them. And sometimes that can be enough. Maybe that starts the ball rolling. Okay, so I'll give you I'll give you two examples. Well, one example straight off the bat. There is numerous um, videos of CDC director Rochelle Walensky saying, literally, the phrase is, um, "All of the data that we have at the moment show that people um, will be uh, protected uh, from uh, the vaccine, and also it will prevent transmission." She's on video saying that, right? Yes. Now, that's a complete flat out lie in two respects, because no data existed showing that transmission could be could be reduced and no trial was ever configured to stop transmission. But that was all available in December 2020 when the FDA and all of the regulators around the world produced their EUA documentation in and, and partially and some of the trial the trial data was made available as a result of that process, right? I read that in December 2020, and I knew it wouldn't work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm and I'm technic, you know, medically lay for one for, to all intents and purposes, right? So Wilensky has literally lied. But the second thing that she can also be held to account for is, you could say to her, okay, Rochelle, but the, on the date that you made that statement. Which data sets were you actually referring to? Because you claimed that there's data inside the CDC or in possession of the CDC that proves the two claims that you made of safe and stops transmission or effective, sorry, effective and stops transmission. She wouldn't be able to answer those questions, right? So why has no one gone after her? They could have done it the moment they could have technically begun that challenge the moment she went on video and said that, right, technically. And they could certainly do it immediately now. Right. Well, I, I think I, I think I think one reason is because Democrats ran everything when 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 she did that. And there was no impetus for Democrats didn't want to do any investigations. They didn't want to do any investigations. They believed in what well they were they believed in it all. So they believed they believed in the narrative. You know, they they held these people up as heroes. Now we'll see what happens with Republicans. You know, we'll see what happens with subpoenas. We'll see what happens. But you know, going back to my Nazi prison guard analogy. How are they able to prosecute 80-year-old prison guards years, let's say 30, 40 years after the mm-hmm. Holocaust? How are they able to prosecute them and show they were murderers? Now, from what I remember, it's been a long time since we had one of those trials. But what I remember, it was eyewitness accounts, wasn't it? It was people saying, it was people who were there. The Germans, the Germans kept a lot of records. Right, and I think there were also witnesses of like people who were there who didn't end up dying, who survived, who said that's the person, right? There was, some, there was still eyewitness accounts. There were still eyewitnesses who they brought and said that person 
is the person who was this you know herded all these people into the into the chambers um and and that's how they did it also right so there was a, there were records as you said and there were eyewitness accounts and that's how they were able to go after these people specifically how they could not hide behind i i was there but i didn't do anything right and that's the defense right yeah i was there i i worked for hitler but i didn't actually do anything i didn't actually kill anybody right uh so you hide. You talk, about, you talk about these people hiding behind corporations. These Nazi prison guards could have easily hid behind the Third Reich, right? They could have hid behind it and saying it was that organization that did it. But I never actually did anything. In fact, I was totally against it. But God, if I spoke out, they would have put a bullet in my head and my family's heads. They, they were able to get past that, right? With evidence, with eyewitness accounts, with as you said, a lot of records that were kept, detailed records that were kept. So there are ways to go after. Look. There are ways to go after people if you want to, right, Gator? Right? If, if you want to go after, if you believe Fauci or Gottlieb did anything that was illegal, prosecutable, you would go after them. You would gather evidence and you'd go after them. So the whole point is there have to be people who are willing to do that. And here's the question. I know this I'm, I'm talking like you now. And if they're not willing to do that, we need to ask the question why, right? Why are they not willing to do that? What is the reason? They're not willing to do that. But if they wanted to, they could. If they wanted to, they could. You know? Yeah. You're, you're purposely, you could be found to purposely give misleading information, which ended in economic collapse, which then ended in people killing themselves, ended in death, people dying, misery. You were indirectly responsible for people's deaths and destruction. You could absolutely prosecute them if you wanted to. But you have to want to. And so far, I understand. You're right. There hasn't been the need. First of all, it's all still very new. It's still a very raw wound. But and we're learning more and more about this every day now. But the Democrats did run things during this whole period. So there weren't going to be any hearings. There weren't going to be any subpoenas. Now we'll see if Fauci is subpoenaed and now Gottlieb is subpoenaed and Walensky is subpoenaed and where the Republicans go with it. I know you are very cynical that nothing will happen. You might be right. But – you know, I think to say it hasn't happened, you know, on, on January 10th of 2023 doesn't mean it's not going to happen at all. I hold I hold out hope. Look, there's a, but, but what people never talk about when they say what they want, they never, ever, ever talk about ideas of how they get that right. There's a quite a straightforward process that could be followed or something that could be instigated for people who want to get this kind of stuff. Right. You've got two, two key players in the Senate now. Ron Johnson, who is totally focused on the, the harms of the vaccines, right, which ultimately ties to all of the things that we're talking about. OK, there are people and he's in connect, contact with people like Jackson and all of the prominent doctors. OK, and has been. So he is as clued in as a politician gets in the Western world. He's not completely alone either. There are other people quiet, you know, who are quieter, but on similar age. But there's also Rand Paul, who's theatrically going after the gain of function stuff which ties up um it, it ties a combination of the deep state entities and all of the organs of state with with state money to corporate money to corporate research in and outside the usa those two people are essentially this axis a primary axis to bring legal challenge now i would say that the how of getting this justice on a people basis is Half, well, just under half, isn't it? About half of the US population are not vaccinated. 
they never will be. If they aren't vaccinated by now, they never will be. Those are the people who openly resist the madness, right? Well, if you're not vaccinated by now, you are basically a resistor. Those people need to be activated to dump a dollar each into a public fund that, that is completely driven around the active prosecution of all players in this sphere, uh -huh. which then drives fund that, that funds people like Aaron Siri, who's already proven as a lawyer to have taken F the Pfizer to the courts and got all of the Pfizer documentation out under FOIA instead of it being locked up for 55 or 75 years. You know he's good for the work, right? There are other people who are perhaps less, less, less proven, but certainly motivated that I can think of uh, names wise. Um, and those people will be able to publicly, transparently resource themselves from a public, public funding. If the public did that, and, and I mean, let's think about it. So I'd estimate there's about 100 million people, right? So I'll go for less than half. 100 million people in America who are not vaccinated, right? What are you going to achieve in the courts with $100 million? A fucking lot, right? You could literally be taking down loads of low-level players, right? Lowish level players. Because you could literally personally go after Wil Walensky and she would not be able to compete on a monetary basis for a legal case for civil liability, right? On a personal basis of abuse of her position, things like that, right? And you only need, you only need to get, as you say, traction with a few key people, because this is how the state works. The state basically controls the populace by bullying and punishing key individuals to send a message to everybody else to say, if we can do this to this person, we can do worse to you. So fucking sit down, shut up. Now, if, you, if the people reverse that paradigm and then basically go after initially the work their way up the food chain, right? Using public funds to fund those legal cases and fund those law uh, resources and, and, and basically tie up with decent senators and Congress people and so on and so forth then you will have some of the effects that you want to see. But it's a question of who can build and, and lead those campaigns because what frustrates me is this. There was a huge anti-COVID ecosystem. You know, Robert Malone, Steve Kirsch, Peter McCullough, all of these faces that you already know. But not a single one of them is running an effective single-point campaign saying this is how we all come together and get these bastards in one go right in one campaign it doesn't have to drive all the same work and be an overarching camp covid justice campaign right you put your money into there and it can be allocated to this 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 and this and it's completely transparent where the money goes right yep. you could do that right now but they haven't and, and i i don't understand why they haven't done it I've, I've actually spoken directly to some of these people about some of these things and they don't do it Right. And that makes me makes me actually a bit more cynical. I'll give you an example. Right. If, stop me at any time. I'm going on. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, keep going. Steve Kirsch. Right. Must be pulling in. I saw one estimate from a from a former colleague of mine who might know reasonable amounts. Steve Kirsch might be pulling in fifty thousand dollars a month off his substack. Right. Mm -hmm. Fifty thousand dollars a month. He continuously puts up this challenge of a million dollar bet. He'll never pay the million dollar bet. Right? I can't believe anyone. you mentioned. Do you, you, you know who I saw tonight in person? Steve Kirsch. I can't believe okay. you said Steve Kirsch. Steve cool. Kirsch was at the Jennifer Say 
talk in Santa Clara. He was there because he's going right. to give some. He lives in the area, I guess, and he's going to give some talk uh, next month. But he he so I was just talking about Steve Kirsch tonight. I was like, who's Steve Kirsch? Because I heard his name, but he's one of these local, you know, in these these billionaires who looks like he's homeless. You know, he, he doesn't dress up. He dresses like a t shirt and jeans, but he's loaded. So what he's been doing, Steve Kirsch, I guess he's been like, he says, if you debate me, I want someone to debate me on vaccines, and I'll give you money to debate me, right? Yeah. In other words, Fauci, debate me, I'll give you a million dollars. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and nobody's ever taken him up on it, right? Right. And he's obviously not—he's obviously not short of cash. And if he is pulling in income, I mean, but, but one of the ways an estimate that you can no, use no, but I, I think I think he was loaded before. So I think he's yeah, of course, of course, of course, right? Yeah. A, 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 one of the ways that you can estimate the rough income off a Substack is this: roughly one percent of people like or comment on a, a Substack, roughly, very crudely. So if you've got eight hundred people, um commenting right on on a substack then you can roughly say times that by 100 and you'll get roughly what the number of total subscribers are if people can only comment by by virtue of paying to subscribe to that substack like with robert malone's substack then they must be paying at least the minimum amount of subscription so you can roughly calculate a range of income from that substack right so i think it's reasonable to make estimates of what these people get now, what's Steve Kirsch doing with the money from that substack? Nobody knows. But why isn't he? I mean, he doesn't need the money. Okay. No. So, so the question is, what's he doing with it? Right. And he, he could be doing all sorts of stuff with it. Now, I, uh, Steve Kirsch performs a useful function. He's been good with all of his analysis and all of his skepticism and everything else. I don't take any of that away from him. Right. He's just one guy who's already rich in this space who basically I would say, okay, he's raising awareness and he's providing this stream of information, but is, is, it do, is he doing and making happen things that he could? I'd argue possibly not. Now, I'd also suggest that Robert Malone's in this camp, okay? Because, you know, as a thought leader and a commentator and all these other things, that's fine. You know, he's got knowledge and he's got, he's got an ability to do these things, but there's a point there's a point where you you need to move from an information generator or a content provider to an activist doer leader and i don't think these people have done that i i think that there's also not all of these people but some of them are doing something that is deliberate they realize that because of their position now being anti-covid and that's going to come their way eventually they are actually carved deliberately carving out uh, existences in the anti-COVID, post-COVID world because they know that's where their dollar is, right? And so, so they don't want the whole thing to completely end, right? Whilst they're making money off Substacks, they're selling books and they're kind of gaining popularity, which will then become something more powerful in the future for them. They're, they're, they're basically riding this wave, right? For deliberate reasons, because there's loads of money in it. Right. And, they, and 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 I believe that that is a is is not uncommon. And this partly explains why there is not really good, coherent, single source moves to do the kind of things that I'm describing, which is bring a load of anti covid aware citizens together, give them a single point of action, which is donate five dollars to this fund, which will fund going after all of these bastards with yeah. all of this stuff. It's a good idea. You know, again, everyone brings their own thing to, you know, saying maybe 
<clears throat> someone like Steve Kirsch, people on Substack, maybe they just want to write about this. You know, they're not they're not judicial activists. They're not that's not that's not their thing. Their thing is to like expose, right? Illuminate, um, show people the truth, and and that that's what they like doing. And I when I say about Kirsch, he really works. He writes a lot. You know, so it's like that's if if that's what you like to do, if you're independently wealthy and you've got, you know, and the way Substack works, I understand, is you pay to comment, right? In order to comment, you have to subscribe. Is that the way it works? Well, it can be if you want it to be. Right. And also someone like but someone like Matt Taibbi, um, I have to subscribe just to read it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he, he it's five dollars a month to Matt Taibbi. I guess he's a name. He can afford to do that. You know, where you have to pay five dollars a month just to actually even just to read his stuff. Um, so it, it's, it, it's kind of like, there are people who want it, who want to really express their opinion, how they feel they want to in, uh, enlighten and Substack was a, a, a venue for them to do that. Now it's become a big venue for them to do that. A big platform, I should say for them to do that. So I, not everyone is like, I'm going to be an activist. I'm going to organize. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fund the lawsuits. That's not necessarily their passion. That's not what they're good at. That's not what they want to do. Maybe that's something other people need to pick up on, you know, but I really think it really does come from a lot of this is going to come from this sounds crazy. Trusting this government, this Republican House to actually do some of this stuff, which is going to either directly lead to these people being held accountable or it's going to enlighten people that so far have not been enlightened and make them angry enough that they take the lead. Okay. I think that's the way this is going to go. I really do. But I think you're letting people... Okay, I'll, I'll finish on this, because I completely do cannot marry up your initial stance with what you've just said. Because what you're actually saying now is we need to leave it to other people, right? That's That, to me, is completely wrong. What the system shows you is this. Every single person in Congress and the Senate and even governor level are basically co-opted by Big Pharma in, in the case of COVID, right? Mm. They're co-opted by Big Pharma or they're under the party cosh and they've all towed the line. Almost, you know, the huge majority of, of, of meaningful decisions have gone the way of, 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 of COVID in the favour of the COVID players, right? And there's only a few Congress people who are openly opposed to it that I've just mentioned, right? So waiting to, to say that we need to leave it to those people to get around to doing it is is to abandon the idea that you live in a democracy where people, the, the people, can take action to address a wrong or force their representatives to represent them and address those wrongs quickly, which is what I'm suggesting. And I and I I, I just reject well, this idea. People can wander around saying they live in a democracy, but then they I go. Can... Look, I, I, uh, I, we won't I, get any. We won't get involved. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. No, I'm not saying we're not to get involved. I'm just saying that this is – they have the bully pulpit right now, right? They're the ones that can expose all this. They're the ones that can that have subpoena power right now. So I, I'm, I understand what you're saying about a lot of these politicians getting contributions from Big Pharma and being in the pockets of Big Pharma. But I've been kind of surprised at how so many Republicans – haven't seen, didn't seem to give a shit about that over the last three years. They've been openly critical of big pharma. They've been openly critical of the vaccines. So they, they see what they see. I think is that their constituents, they have the wind at their back because their constituents want them to do this. See what I'm saying? They can, the people who vote them in, 
the people who vote them in want them to do this. So it's kind of given them wins at their back. And they've had, uh, I guess, less um, of an issue criticizing Big Pharma. I, I Look, as shocked as I am about these so-called progressives totally giving in to Big Pharma over the last three years, totally sucking up to Big Pharma, as shocking as that is, I'm kind of equally surprised at how many Republicans, some high-level ones, have come out and spoken against Big Pharma time and time again um, and have been skeptical of the COVID vaccines and have, and have expressed that time and time again over the last three years. So okay. it's, kind of an okay. odd seat, it's kind of an odd seat change that's happened. And yes, of, okay. yes, I'm still, yes, I'm still a little skeptical like you are. I do understand. But it's just, you know, it's like they have not – they have not – the Republicans have not seemed to care about any kind of money they've gotten in the past from Big Pharma over the last few years. Why, why has, has your nation been able to implement federal mandates, illegal federal mandates for any employee, particularly airline staff or um, there's a lot of, you know, I think medic, medic and so on and so forth, which now proven to be illegal, hence why they've had to be abandoned. And for the military, Right. You don't do that. A sensible society does not do that before the legality and the true downstream full scale effects are assessed in law. You don't just fucking do it. Right. And yet your your all of your Senate and Congress have essentially either failed to oppose it or endorsed it at the federal level, which is why these things occurred. State slightly different. Right. Thank God for some people. Well, no, I mean, no, 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 no. Remember, there was a a lot of Republicans backed the. Supreme Court uh, case against the, the OSHA mandate that, that Biden wanted, and we won on that, right? We won on that when it comes to private companies. Biden could not tell private companies to have vaccine mandates. We, we won on all that. They want to do it based on the OSHA thing for workplace safety, and that didn't work. But the people pr- pressing that were the conservatives and the Republicans, not the Democrats, I mean, to get rid of that, to, to, to bring it to the Supreme Court, to knock it down. And on top of that, we've seen Republicans time and time again file lawsuits against these the, even small things like the airline mask mandate. It was Republicans who were filing lawsuits against the airline mask mandate. And I think of the airline mask mandate we lost. The Supreme Court said that Biden has the right to, to have a, you know, to, to, I guess, to, to say there needs to be, a, you know, he has the right to, the federal government has the right to issue an airline mask mandate. But it was the Republicans who were fighting back on that, not the Democrats. So the Republicans have fought back on a lot. I mean, the Democrats did not. I, I talk about that all the time, and they're the ones that were in control. They had everything. They had the White House, the, the House, the Senate. So the fact of the matter is, that, and also you talk about you know, the pilot, the mandates for airlines. This was all stuff that the Biden administration imposed, and any, any kind of uh, um, fight back has been from the Republicans. It hasn't been from the Democrats. So it, it's not – the Republicans aren't the one who imposed this stuff. The Republicans are the ones who have fought back against this stuff. But much of it, Biden just did unilaterally. There was no legislation, Gator, even on the state level. There was no legislation on any of this stuff. It was the governors who unilaterally said, we're doing this. The health commissioners, the health czars said, we're doing this. Right? Barbara Farrar, one very sickly-looking woman in L.A. Hmm. County, of three million people can say, no, no, everyone's wearing masks starting tomorrow. There's no legislation. There's no the city council. There's no legislation with the city council. There's no legislation with the state legislatures. There was no legislations in in Congress for any of this stuff. None of it. It was all mandated by the dictator in chief. That's the problem. The problem is Gator. 
that a governor or a president has that kind of power. They shouldn't. These were, okay. None of this stuff was ever law. None of these, there's no penal code. There's no, none of this stuff is law in this country. It's all mandate. It's all dictate from either the governors, the mayors, or the president. Or, or the health commission, the health czar who was not even elected. You know, so that, that's the problem, that these people should not be able to have that power. And if they have it for some reason, it needs to be taken away from them. Okay, so that would get me to another demand then, which is that in addition to pursuing or stripping corporations of their, of their personal person entity or status, and also then going after all of these people using a massive, gigantic public fund, it's to also eradicate the ability for an elected representative to act with um, caesarean, unchecked individual power. No doubt about it. You know, no doubt about it. That, that could be the most important thing of all, right? Because yeah. it could not happen if not for that. You know, uh, you know and, that, um, and unfortunately that would end up affecting people's, uh, the president's ability to um, use executive orders as well. Or it yeah. should do. Look, look, we just saw, we just saw the Republicans, when they took over, when they were about to take over, they made sure if Biden wanted to get his, uh, you know, his debt ceiling raised or budget deal, whatever the fuck he wanted to get, that they had to drop the, the military vaccine mandate. And what happened? Was it yesterday? The military vaccine mandate was dropped. That's because the Republicans took over. If the Democrats had won the House, there'd still be a, a military vaccine mandate now. So that was dropped from there. And now we're seeing, of course, the Republicans talking about other things that they would look at. Look, once again, this is why I say when people say there's no difference, whoever wins, it doesn't matter. It, it, it did matter. It just it mattered right away because something like that awful military vaccine mandate where healthy young people in the military had to get the had to get the vaccine in order to serve. And we were losing thousands, thousands and thousands of people because of that. That's gone now because of an election. Because yeah. Election, OK, because elections have consequences. But right? wait a second. That's I, I agree with you. But there's still an, a thorny problem that you don't get around. If you were doing mandates for any political reason, let's just say it was a nefarious political reason, like you really wanted to put this payload into everybody for a particular reason, and that reason wasn't very nice. So you use mandates. Too late. Getting them pulled out now means that maybe 90, 80, 90 percent of people in those institutions have been dosed. It's too late. Oh, I know. I understand. But the Republicans won now. They didn't win two years ago. So, I mean, yeah, but, I understand. I, I understand. But that's not you – can't, you can't blame the Republicans for that. Blame well, Joe Biden. Blame the Democrats. No, but wait. It doesn't have to become party political, right? Because my, the point I see here is this. If you are literally watching your entire nation run off a cliff and your system – you go, you know what? The problem with this system is, for whatever reason, 70, 80% of these people are going off that cliff and we're just going to be have to have to accept that. But we can save about 30, right? Wrong. You should have been, people, anyone, should have been at the front of that, pushing people back, saying there's a cliff there. They weren't. They, 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 they've basically not done enough up front to stop people running off the cliff. And most of your military has run off the cliff, right? And if the damage from COVID vaccines really is as bad or worse than, than every piece of stuff that I've studied and read, 
your military is fucked. And people have rightly raised this as a national security issue risk, right? Because you may actually have people who essentially are not fit for service anymore. And you just don't even know about it because they're all carrying subclinical myocarditis and many other things, or their lifespan has literally been dropped by five for, for to five or 10 years as other issues come up. Turbo cancer is now actually experimentally recognized. And this is something that I knew about ages ago, right? So it's too late. Everything that you're seeing, all of the benefits of like, yeah, we're fighting back is it obviously has to be pursued because there's nothing else to pursue. But the question that people have to face is how the fuck did we allow ourselves to be in this position anyway, that we needed to rely on such extreme punitive post after the fact um, legal measures to right a wrong that can never be reversed. It's not like a drug, it's an irreversible act. And that's something that people just aren't, aren't, aren't speaking about in public yet on the mainstream and I doubt they ever will be allowed to. Yeah, no, absolutely. Just, I understand what you're saying. There's no doubt about it. And I agree with you say about, you know, to put it in simplistic terms, uh, people power, you know, you can't rely on the government for everything. You can't rely on, on politicians, many of whom, like I say, are compromised because they have taken, uh, either taking now contributions from someone, from, from an entity like Big Pharma or did in the past. Um, but I, I think that, I think that, the ball is rolling. It's starting to roll, and no one's more frustrated than me that something hasn't been done already about this. But I think the ball is beginning to roll on this, and I think the first sign – I'll get to Daniel in a second – but the first sign we'll see when we know it's working is when we stop seeing these fucking ads for vaccines – and every day we're still seeing ads for vaccines. They're still telling, in other words, they're not afraid yet, Gator, because they're, till, they're, they're still telling the same lies over and over again. I'm still, stealing, I'm still seeing ads here in San Francisco in California. I don't know if people are seeing these ads in Alabama or Mississippi or Arizona or Florida, but I'm certainly seeing them here. And, and, and they're saying things that – they're talking as though the last two years haven't happened. Like this is December of 2020 again. These ads are mm. pretty much saying – Still, they're still saying you get the vaccine to protect your friend, get the vaccine to protect your 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 your, your brother or your sister. They're still running those fucking ads, which we now know are a total one hundred percent lie. Yet they're still emboldened enough, at least here in California, whatever that means, uh, to run these ads. Okay, so I think once we stop, <laughs> once these ads stop running, maybe we'll see we're making some kind of inroads, and they're getting a little bit worried. But right now, they're certainly not worried yet. That, that's for sure. They're not worried yet. Mm. Yeah. They're not, they haven't apologized. A lot of, like I said, with these ads, they're pretending it's two years ago, and none of the information and knowledge we've had over the last two years has actually occurred and happened. Uh, these Twitter files don't exist. They're nothing. They're still acting like that. So they're not quite frightened yet, and they're still emboldened to keep telling the same lies over and over again. Which is so, which is reflective of the stranglehold that the uh, state has over the media in terms of the public perception. Oh, sure, absolutely, no, no doubt about it. Like I said, the mainstream media, the legacy media, they will not cover these stories. Therefore, they just don't exist, right? They don't exist, and the only thing that exists are these. So people are not seeing the real information. They're not seeing the information Alex Berenson just shared. They're not seeing that on television. Um, but what they are seeing are ads saying the vaccines are still effective, as effective as we said they were two and a half years ago. 
And so mm. people – so when you talk to many people and you say, well, you know, the vaccines don't stop the spread, they'll say, of course it does. Oh, it might not be perfect, but it stops the spread. And they, they don't – they just don't – they're they're propagandized, and that's all they know. Mm. You know, and it, it, it's, it's mind-boggling because you and I, us, we, we have seen – we know the information. We take in the information. We, 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 we understand what's happened. But a lot of people, they're just getting – what their television tells them, and they're not seeing, they're not seeing the conflict, the Scott Gottlieb conflict. That's not being, you know, uh, broadcast on on the legacy media. They're not talking about. They're not going. You're not going to see one story that says Scott. Got, maybe Fox. That's about it. That Scott Gottlieb made four hundred thousand dollars from Pfizer, and while he's making four hundred grand from Pfizer, he's he's uh, influencing, you know, the, the White House policy. Okay, the U.S. government policy on vaccines and COVID. You're not, you're not going to see that. You're not going to see that big conflict of interest story. You're not going to see it. If it was the Trump administration, you'd probably see it. But it's the Biden administration, so you're not going to see it. So that's, that's the problem. That's the problem. That's why they're so emboldened to continue to keep telling the same lies over and over and over again. Why, Gator? Because they haven't been punished for doing it, right? They have not been punished for doing it. Yep. I love the release of the Twitter files, but that's not punishment. Of course not. Of course not. They're, a lot of them are giggling about it, knowing their friends at CNN and MSNBC aren't going to cover it. So many people are – 90% of the country is not even going to see it. 90% of the country has to begin seeing this stuff. And if Republicans can somehow do that, I think that can lead somewhere. But I know you're skeptical. <laughs> I, know you're, I know you're skeptical. I know you are. And look, Gator, they're going to be there's going to be a good section of the country that simply because the Republicans are doing it aren't going to believe it, right? Oh, well, yeah, just because yeah. the Republicans leak, are putting it out the there, they're, gonna, they're lying. They're lying. Mm -hmm. It's not real. Don't believe it. They're lying. So some people just get and Jennifer Say made that point tonight at the speech. She said, look, 20, 30 percent of the people cannot be helped. You have to ignore them. But there's probably – she came up with the number 50 percent. She said, I'll give a round number. There's 50 percent of the people out there who either believe as we do or want to believe as we do, and they just got to be pushed to be courageous enough to get out there and start talking about it. That's – and she's right. Those are the people, that 50 percent, that very, very silent half the country or even majority are the ones we have to make them more comfortable to come out and, and, start, and start talking. So that's, you know, bring them out. That's what we have to do. Mm, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I think, I think, I think, I think you can achieve. I, I think you can achieve things right. in society get, with with I'm less to get people. To be a little optimistic here. <laughs> well, yeah, right. I, I agree. I agree. Right, but we can achieve things with less people in society. Revolutions don't start with fifty percent of the population. And this is this is ultimately my point is that there are enough people, prominent positions, and there is technically enough ability to build money and money faster and harder if, 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 if we had very focused leadership actions, if you see what I mean, right? To, to basically, for, for all of the people, all of the fragmented resistance groups to focus on. Because if you open up Telegram and all these other things, you'll see millions of deaf, different groups all going, we're awake, but they don't do anything, right? And they talk about stuff and they send each other videos, but they don't do anything, right? And it's just, I've, I've tried, I've sort of tried to say this to some, some people in fairly high 
levels of the resistance movement that I've worked with or, or been in touch with. And, and it just doesn't really, it just hasn't coalesced yet. Um, they, they continue to do their podcasts and their videos and their analysis and release of information, but it hasn't come up with a massive anti-COVID people's campaign. And that's what I think, you know, it's all fragmentary, individual siloed stuff, really. And it's a shame because I, I just think that that's going to prove to be the slowest thing. And then eventually one day when, when, when the sluice gate, when, when, when basically somebody somewhere is going to eventually go, fucking hell, we've just crossed critical mass and then you'll see somebody pull a finger out and they'll and they'll and they'll do this thing and 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 then and then you'll find out that the reason why they did it was because they themselves actually made a lot of money off it <laughs> even if they got the right result that's what will be the motivator thank you thanks as always cheers mate take it easy i appreciate it. all right cheers okay uh daniel 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 you know you missed a great talk tonight in santa clara you would have liked it Daniel, are you there? I am here. Yeah, um, sorry, sorry, I did miss it. Um, sounded great. I saw a few um, video clips on Twitter. Um, uh, yeah, maybe you can tell me about more about it sometime. Um, I want to pick up on uh, something that the data was talking about, and that is uh, those potential 100 million people out there, whether they're in, in, uh, in the Western world, so the uh, Gators over there in the UK, um, uh, we should count more than 100 million. Um, that, that's just potentially, you know, um, the adults in the US that could uh, potentially contribute to uh, um, uh, litigation funds um, to go after some of the play, the big players and start uh, um, uh, poking holes in, in the uh, dike. To, to, to finally cause it to bust. One of the things I would l like to see is, um, well, me, to, to address that question about, you know, about, about money and getting it flowing in the right position. Uh, NCLA is where I'd start. I've given them money. I gave them money about oh, three weeks ago, um, just a hundred bucks. Um, but they are the, uh, it's the new civil liberties alliance. And they are the group of about 20 lawyers that are um, uh, in the, uh, the, the principal lawyers in the um, uh, suit that uh, against um, Fauci and Collins, et cetera, uh, for, the, for, for going after Jay Bhattacharya and McCarry um, uh, and Gandhi and uh, trying to um, uh, deprive them of uh, their freedom of speech, et cetera. Um, and and uh, they were, um, oh, what's, what's the legal word for it when you do character, your character assassination, uh, libeling them, et, et cetera. Anyway, they're yes. the ones that are responsible that, for that, um, uh, that case and a number of other ones that um, are violations of civil liberties based on COVID policy. I would suggest that everyone gives to, gives to them. They are a great organization. Um, I would suggest that every night on your show, you suggest that people give to them. They're a great organization. Um, and uh, Jen and Eunice is, is one of the, uh, um, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing your name right, is one of the, uh, the uh, litigants 
uh, on the litigating councils on the on the uh, team of about twenty or so, um, and the twenty or so are just like the, the full timers. Um, there are people like uh, Laura Powell in California that is a California associate. I'm not sure what exact title is, but she does a lot of organizing for um, what they call Team Reality in in, um, in California, and uh, she does work with respect to to, to this case. I'm talking about the one that involves Jay Bhattacharya. Um, and so I'd suggest that I would hope that maybe you could, could suggest to everybody when they want something that they can do, concrete, to give money to MCLA, the New Civil Liberties Alliance. Um, and, and and they, like I said, they're, they're an a, a organization with a lot of integrity. If a lot of money starts flowing to them, I am sure they would have probably set up some fun and say, okay, you guys, um, th this money, we, we, we don't feel good about being ent entirely in control of it. So we're going to set up some sort of uh, whatever the legal terms would be to, to this. So they don't have total control over the money, but it's, it's dedicated and earmarked toward particular legal activities. And I'm sure they would probably do something like that. In the meantime, you, you can just simply give to them for, to, so that they can, can fight this case. They're a nonprofit um, civil rights organization that was founded by uh, Philip Hamp Hamburger to defend um, um, constitutional freedoms. And they're pr primarily interested in uh, legislation against the administrative state. And um, they, you know, ACLU, they totally fell down on the job. They, they defended nobody's civil liberties when it came to, to COVID. So we have some real champions here. These people, you, you know, for you've seen Jennings tweets, you know how hard she works on this case. You've seen uh, um, um, Laura Powell's tweets and you know how hard she's been working on these cases. Um, these are people with a lot of heart. And a lot of pernicious, per, there are a lot of patience and tenacity, and they're going to keep going after these people. So there's, you know, picking up on Gator's idea of 100 million people each donating a dollar. Yeah, donate it to them. Yeah, no, there are some good, they're right. There are some, in fact, at this talk, the Jennifer Say talk at the Liberty Center of Santa Clara, uh, there was someone on stage before Jennifer Say spoke. And she was just doing these things. She was they were filing lawsuits and she talked about how they've been successful and they're filing more lawsuits and that these lawsuits are costly. So she gave her organization website and she said, you know, they take contributions of any kind because these lawsuits are very, very, very costly. But there are certain pl certainly places you can go and people you can go to to contribute because there are people there are people out there that are doing this stuff. Exactly. And, and, and NCLA, I mean, they're the ones that deposed uh, Fauci a few weeks ago. And that deposition was um, uh, there's quite a, a few news organizations and mainstream media that reported on that. So they're making waves. They're getting things done. The judges are, are agreeing with them down the line when it comes to the administration's attempts to try to keep certain people like Jen Psaki, et, um, et cetera, from being deposed. Um, they are they, they are they're top notch group. Um, so uh, please donate to them and might please please suggest to people whenever they are feeling down in the you know in the doldrums about um uh, about uh, justice and justice being served with respect to the uh, COVID panisteria, you know, just please remind them to, 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 to give to these organizations. If you find other ones that are doing great work, you know, those, those too. Um, 
Gator's got a great idea. 100 million people, 200 million people, 300, 500 across the world giving a dollar apiece to these organizations. They, they can start going after the, 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 the sons of bitches that did this. You know, they, they'll, they'll go from 20 present lawyers to, to 200. No, it's a, it's a great point that Gator makes, though. These, these, these people we want to go after are very powerful, wealthy people. Yeah. And they have a lot of money and they have a lot of lawyers working for them. And they know that most people can't keep up with them, right? Most people can't keep up with the lawyers they have with the kind of money they can throw at this. People, what people will do is they'll start out saying, I'm going to do this, and they'll give up because the money's just not there anymore. The money dries out. And these, these corporations like Big Pharma and these people like Scott Gottlieb have all these lawyers and attorneys, and they just run out the clock after a while. They run out your money. They run out your wallet. They can keep going, and you can't. So yep. these organizations – and that's why organizations are doing this as opposed to just regular folk like you and I because these organizations can raise money and like, like Gator said, put up enough money where a lot of these corporations and people like Walensky won't have the funds to fight back, right? And you always got to remember is that the, the truth is cheap. A lie takes a whole lot of money to maintain. And um, so we've got the truth on our side. We've got the um, – the efficiency of the truth on our side. A um, hundred million dollars donated to something like NCLA could go a hell of a long way in bringing these sons of bitches to justice. So, yeah, um, please do. I um, just want to mention one one other thing, which is uh, Kevin Kiley um, tweeted a um, – I'm trying to find it right now. He, he made a tweet today um, – so Kevin Kiley is a um, new uh, congressman from, from California in, in the House. And he said today, this is his tweet today, we're creating a committee on the weaponization of the federal government. It will investigate how agencies have illegally monitored and targeted American citizens. So he's speaking of the same thing that NCLA is speaking of and is specifically dealing with right now. And he's also talking about uh, 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 things that relate to the, the Twitter file dumps. Um, there was the, um, the, the the dump that you spoke of today, and there was also the um, case with, um, which is named Spiri, I think was the, the journalist. Um, anyway, he's he's going to, uh, it looks like, file a case against, uh, which is named Flaherty, who is the um, digital something czar of some sort or camera what they, this title was in the white house by Biden white house um and, and he uh was um, uh, um petitioning uh twitter directly directly from the white house to censor um uh spearier Spearly, whatever his last name is so there's a number of cases that are opening up that are first amendment cases and they, they need monies they do. Yeah, they and and Kevin Kiley, it looks like Kevin Kiley from the Congress end of the thing is opening up investigations. But these uh, civil liberties unions type of, of organizations, Zadine Money, don't give it to the ACLU. They sat on their asses and did nothing. Oh, Kevin, the ACLU, our, uh, what, a, what a disappointment the ACLU. I can't say I'm surprised. But what a yeah, disappointment so if, the ACLU. If you ever, if you're, if you're one of the millions of people um, in this country, that um, and across the world that has ever given like I did regularly to the ACLU, stop that immediately and give it to the NCLA. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, the ACLU. I mean, they're total a total disaster. In fact, the opposite of the opposite. It was bad enough. It would be bad enough if they did nothing, but they actually 
they actually spoke out in defense of these uh, of these uh, um, of the of they the, most uh, certainly yeah. did. They, they spoke out in defense of of the Biden administration. They spoke out in defense of vaccine mandates. They spoke out in defense of the of these crimes against humanity. They spoke out in defense of these crimes against us. <laughs> the Civil Liberties Union, the American Civil Liberties Union, spoke out in defense of crimes against American civil liberties. Uh, yes, they did. Yes, they did. Bullshit organization. It was the most bizarre thing I have ever seen. And uh, with respect to um, civil civil liberties and the the, the protection thereof, to see the ACLU supporting this this crap on so many different levels and so many different ways, um, just just shows just shows the the the. the tentacles, how long these tentacles are from the pharmaceutical industry and the medical, medical industrial complex, that they can reach all the way into the ACLU like this and choke yeah. the shit out of it, choke the life out of it. Um, you know, I, I, I've mentioned this before. We've, we've got a medical industrial complex that 22% of our GDP in, in 2020 um, went to healthcare. Um, I remind everyone once again that the uh, less than 4% goes to defense. That's a hell of a lot of money that's going to the medical industrial complex. And in 2020, in 21 and 2022, that number skyrocketed. It's no longer just 20, 22% of GDP. You can count on it being well above 25% of GDP. That's how much influence the medical industrial complex has over our government and our lives. Compare how much interest uh, or how much influence the uh, military industrial complex has which everyone has always been concerned with and afraid of, well, multiply that by about a factor of six. And that's how much influence the medical industrial complex has over our country. And, and, and if you, like everyone always says, follow the money. If you have any doubt whatsoever that the medical industrial complex could have pulled this entire thing off, that is this gigantic um, crime of the millennium, if you have any doubt whatsoever that they could have conspired to do this, either through either through cons- conspiracies between individuals or conspiracies just because of the way the system, the way that machine, the medical industrial complex is set up. If you had any doubt that that conspiracy could could take place. Well, there's a whole there's 25 percent of the GDP that's backing that conspiracy up and making it happen. And and. So, um, Kevin Kiley is um, they're they're opening up investigations as they said they were going to with respect to infringement upon uh, uh, civil liberties and in particular um, freedom of speech um, in relationship to both the um, Hunter Biden stuff and with relationship to COVID and the censoring of people um, across Facebook and Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so if you can as well, give to Kevin Kiley's um, organization. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt about it. No doubt um, about it. Find the people that are doing stuff, reward them for doing stuff. And when you reward them, let them know what you are rewarding them for. This is basic operant conditioning and psychology. That's how you do it. Reward them. Let them know what you're rewarding, rewarding them for. And they will continue that good, good behavior. That's it. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Daniel, thanks for the call. I appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Have a great night. Yes, you too. Yeah, so, you. As, as Gator was saying, as Daniel was saying, there's a lot of organizations 
that you can give to. Seek them out, and maybe we'll mention some of them on the show. A few things I want to I want to get to here before we wrap up is I don't know if anyone's seen this video of Ellen DeGeneres standing behind standing uh, next to a, a river that's overflowing because of all the rain we've been incredible amounts of rain we've been having here, and and this is her this is her comment. We need to be nicer to Mother Nature because Mother Nature isn't happy with us. So this is once again, this goes back to supposed party of science. This is like, isn't that something you would hear like people say like in 400 BC that the reason why we're getting these storms is because God or Mother Nature doesn't like us? This is this is the this is the the science party. This is the party of science. But we know the Democrats are really just a party of science when it's convenient. But Jordan Peterson's comment, I think, is the funniest thing. He said, maybe we should push a virgin into a volcano. (laughs) So the reason we're getting these storms, according to Ellen DeGeneres, is because we're not nice to Mother Nature. That's that's science. That's proven science. Proven science. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. But, of course, once again, the, 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 the urge to push a political narrative being, I guess, Reading into her warped, ultra-liberal, elitist Hollywood mind, it has to do with climate change, right? Like, like I said, like I said, when it's too dry, blame climate change. Mother Nature's mad at us. She's not giving us rain. When there's rain, blame climate change. Mother Nature's mad at us. She's giving us too much rain. These people don't know whether they're fucking coming or going. But this is what happens when you have no uncommon sense. You don't have to make sense. Uh, let's see what – oh, there's another video going around. So, well, first of all, Rand Paul, speaking of accountability, once again, you can believe him or not, uh, Rand Paul uh, put out a video of Fauci back in uh, 2021 saying vaccinated people can feel safe. They're not going to get or spread COVID. And Rand Paul said, how many vaccinated people do you know still got COVID? So many lies. I'll hold Fauci accountable. Now, but remember, what, what the point people are not making, it's really amazing to me. How people are now willing to say the vaccines don't stop the spread, right? They're willing to go there. A year ago, they weren't willing to go there. Now, maybe we need another year, but they're not willing to say the vaccines are harmful. But here's the point. If they lied about them being effective, what would make you think they didn't lie about them being safe? So if Fauci said in 2021, you can feel safe that if you get the vaccine, you're not going to get COVID, you're not going to spread. That was a total lie. So why is it such an extreme uh, leap to say that saying the vaccine, you can feel safe getting these vaccines, you're not, they're not going to harm you? Why is that such a leap to believe that was a lie also? That's always amazing me about amazing me a lot of people, including Rand Paul and others, is that they're willing to go all the way on the vaccines being effective, being a, li- a lie, but not safe. Why? Why not make that leap? What's the problem with that leap? What's the danger in that leap? And like I say, why is it a leap? We're seeing real information that vaccines lead to like myocarditis and blood clots. And those things can cause death. Blood clots cause many deaths. They're a leading cause of deaths, blood clots. So we're seeing evidence of it. But also the fact that they lied about it being effective. Why is it just a leap in logic that they lied about it being safe? I don't get it. I don't get why people are so willing to go against the effectiveness. That's fine, but they won't go against the safety. I don't totally get that. Is that a bridge too far? But why is it a bridge too far? Logic would say it, it's 
perfectly fine, perfectly a logical assumption to make that if they lied about that, they lied about this. And the more information we get, the more we're seeing these vaccines are not safe. They're not safe. Safe doesn't mean you could get myocarditis. Safe doesn't mean that you're going to get a blood clot. And once again, the question they are not asking is when you're seeing an ad for a, a drug on television, a big pharma drug, whether it's, you know, we see it all the time, whether it's high blood pressure or hepatitis C, they have to give that litany. It's like an eight-minute long litany. Could cause this, that could cause this, could cause blood clots, could cause that, could, could and you know, the guy goes very fast. Could go like an like a auctioneer. Could cause blood clots, death, uh, ammonia, blah, blah, blah. They, they have to say that. They have to give the litany of side effects, right, for legal purposes. But when they're advertising the vaccine, why don't they have to give the litany of side effects for legal purposes? I don't get it. All these vaccine ads that I continue to see in California, why don't they have to give the list of side effects that they do for blood pressure pills or for diabetes pills or for hepatitis C pills? Why? And we know these are causing side effects. Myocarditis is a real side effect in young people. Doctors and nurses are seeing cases in the hundreds, in the thousands that they've never seen before in their lives. We have doctors who have said they had not seen one myocarditis case, and now they're seeing hundreds over the last year. That's a side effect. Why don't they have to say that? It's a proven side effect. Blood clots, a proven side effect. Why don't they got to say that? All this stuff needs to be talked about, not just the effectiveness of it, the safety of it, which I think is even more important, is it not? Finally, there's another video going around of a guy in San Francisco. He's the owner of Foster Gwynn Gallery. It's a gallery. And he's uh, – there's a homeless person sitting against a tree in front, of his, in front of his gallery. And he's spraying the person with water to try to get them to move. The video shows him spraying water from a hose into the person's uh, – midsection not the person's face it looks like in the person's midsection for like three five seconds six seconds and he tells them would you move now now from what i understand the backstory is this guy has asked this person to move many times nicely and they set up shop not only set up shop two feet in front of his store but they litter the place it's got crap all over it and garbage where people are not going to feel comfortable going into the guy's business so i think the guy finally got upset and sprayed him with water. And of course, the people here in San Francisco, the ultra-bleeding-heart, fake virtue-signaling liberals, <clears throat> who otherwise really don't give two shits about the homeless, don't even look at them as they're going past them, don't give them any money, uh, curse them out under their breath. Now all of a sudden they have to virtue-signal and they're putting up you know, tweets saying, look at this horrible man, he's showing a lack of emotion, he's spraying a desperately poor person with cold water. Most people are one bad month away from homelessness, and before long, it's near impossible to escape. Homelessness. Did you know homelessness was impossible to escape? I didn't know that. I know the idea of being one paycheck away from being in trouble. I get all that, and a lot of Americans are. I've been included in that category myself. But this idea of homelessness is impossible to escape, that I'm not too sure of. And also, I'm also very sure that in a place like San Francisco – there are many places for homeless people to go if they want to get out of the streets. I know that. Many places to sleep, many places to eat. 
three meals a day, warm overnight, okay? So the streets are possible to escape if you have the mental wherewithal to do it, of course. Some don't, some don't. But the fact of the matter is, what this really shows is not really the fault of the business owner, not even the fault of the homeless person. This is what happens when the local government is a total failure filled with ineffectual, highly paid losers, okay? Because it's their job. It's the gov- We pay their salaries, so it's their job. We pay them to protect us, to protect citizens and business owners from crime. And the situation of the homeless. Small businesses are leaving San Francisco and other cities in the in droves, in droves, because of homelessness, dirtiness, shit and piss on the streets, and crime. Do you think having a city with no businesses helps? You think that creates more homeless or fewer homeless? You think that helps the homeless situation? Of course not. But this is what happens when the leaders are failures. It gets to the point where business owners have to find a way to clean the area in front of their businesses so they can keep their businesses open and going so they don't end up homeless. It's a failure of leadership. It's a fa- and I heard about this video before seeing it, and yet after seeing it, it's not as bad as people say. Literally spraying the person in the chest for five seconds with water from a hose, uh, you know. Not exactly, not exactly uh, salt. And once again, from what I understand, it wasn't like the guy saw a homeless person there and just started spraying them. I understand they have had conversations. The guy has asked, please, you're hurting business, please, please, please. Not only did they not leave, they set up shop there and made it disgusting. So what is a, what is this store owner to do? Once again, these people commenting, this guy is so cold-hearted. Have they ever had to own a business? Have they ever had to own a business in a city like this, where there's homeless people over the streets, where people are shitting and pissing in front of their establishment, where people are robbing them blind, where people are, are, are looting their stores weekly? Do people understand? Can you put yourself in the fucking shoes of someone else for once? Can some people do that? Put themselves in other people's shoes. For one fucking second. Stop virtue signaling. Get off your high elitist privileged horse. And understand what happens when a city is full of crime, homelessness, and no businesses. Who wants that? Do they understand that in their ivory towers, in their, in their $5,000 a month condos? A city of homelessness, shit, piss, crime, and no small businesses, and no corporations? What is that? Uh, Detroit? I think it's probably worse than Detroit ever was. Is that what they want? Like a post-apocalyptic city? Maybe that's what they want. I don't know. But I certainly don't blame either the homeless person or the or this guy. I blame the government. I blame the government. I blame a mayor who makes $350,000 a year. <clears throat> Look at all the money wasted on losers. $800,000 between London Breed and Scott Gottlieb in one year. Think about that. Eight hundred grand to London Breed and Scott Gottlieb in one fucking year. And you wonder why we're in a shit, we live in a shithole. 
Money wasted on losers. Of course. Of course. There's a lot of money in this country wasted on losers. Yeah, no, I understand. You know, I'm getting responses on Twitter. It's a failure of government, not just locally. Obviously. 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 But we're talking about cities. I don't see many Republican cities. I don't see Nashville looking like this. I don't see many Republican-run cities run like this, right? We're seeing this mostly in Democrat-run cities. So it is very local. You can make a case that it's more local than federal because there are plenty of plenty of cities that are run by Republicans in this country that aren't like this, right? Aren't, aren't Detroit or Chicago or Philadelphia or L.A. or New York or San Francisco all run by not just Democrats, but like extreme leftists, extreme, extreme lefties, Virtue signaling liberals, woke virtue signaling liberals. And this is what we've gotten. Ah. Leadership, all about leadership, right? All about leadership. All right, um, I'm going to do a last call for calls. Had a busy day. It was a long, it's a long drive from San Francisco to Santa Clara. So it was, especially in traffic, what a pain in the ass. It wasn't. It would be amazing if we lived in a place. Imagine if a place existed where there were like high speed rail. Is there a place like that that exists? Imagine a place that existed where you could travel thirty or forty miles in in like uh, you know maybe twenty minutes, thirty minutes, as opposed to driving two hours in traffic or three hours. Is there a place like that that exists? Is it called Europe? It's called Japan. Yes, I was going to say, Gator, it's called Japan, Europe. Yes, obviously, I'm being sarcastic. There are a lot of places like that that exist. This country ain't one of them. This country ain't one of them. Or London, Gator, London. How long does it take to go from London to Paris? Two hours? In the the amount of time it took, almost the amount of time it took for me to drive, for us to drive, I didn't drive, I was a passenger, from San Francisco to Santa Clara, okay, from the from San Francisco to the South Bay, I could have been, I could have traveled from London to Paris on a train. What's that a failure of again? Leadership. We have none here. All right, I'm sorry I'm ending on such a sour note. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Maybe there'll be more Twitter files coming along. Maybe tomorrow there'll be more. There'll be more Twitter files, um, and uh, we'll we'll get even more information about this COVID cover-up. It's going to go so deep. It's going to. I think the Fauci stuff is coming next. Fauci threatening Twitter to take people off is coming next. That that's going to be a big one. You know it's out there. You know he did it. There's no doubt about it. So that that's probably coming soon. Uh, Okay, so last call, going once, going twice. No, okay. All right, this has been another good show. I want to thank who called today. Was it Daniel and uh, and Gator? Daniel and Gator called. Who's who's out there listening right now? Jesse's out there right now. Mike, Bryce. Um, what is Bryce saying? You know, an easy coming into the gauntlet of what we took. Anyway, okay. Thanks for everyone listening. I want to remind everybody that this show airs. Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, five nights a week, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern time. 
The name of the show is And Let's Be Heard. And I'm Mike Cachopoli, reminding you that your influence counts. Use it.